Hi, everyone. My name is Al D, and I am the host of the MBA Insider Podcast, a podcast for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help you grow your career. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. Uh, my name is Al D, and I am your host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the author of MBA Insider, How to Make the Most of Your MBA Experience. Today, I have a friend, fellow UNC Keenan Flagler MBA alum from the class of 2016 uh, on the show and on the podcast, uh, and his name is Ravi Maniar. Ravi is a fantastic UNC Keenan Flagler MBA alum and one of the best I know at being able to build relationships with others. And so I'm going to have Ravi on this podcast to talk about his experience with networking. And networking is something that is covered and talked about extensively in business school. And for some of you, you may not like it. For others of you, you may not be used to it because it wasn't something you practiced a lot of or had to do in your culture or in your industry. And so Ravi's going to do a really great job in terms of explaining his experience with networking and give advice on how you can use networking in your advantage um, while you're in your MBA program and really use it for the rest of your career. So let's jump into my interview with Ravi. My next guest on the MBA Insider podcast is the one and only Ravi Maniar. Uh, Ravi is a graduate of the UNC Keenan Flagler MBA class of 2016, a proud uh, Keenan UNC Tar Heel alum and a uh, former classmate of mine and a friend of mine. And I'm really excited to have Ravi on today. Um, he is just such a wealth of insight and information, and he's so great about um, sharing his, his story. So uh, Ravi, thank you so much for joining me on the MBA Insider podcast. I guess maybe just to start, I want to give you just an icebreaker just to bring everyone up to speed on who you are and, and where you've come from. So think back to growing up. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Like, what did you aspire to? Hey, first of all, thanks, Al, for having me. I'm, I'm really thrilled. And, you know, your book is amazing. It's helped out. I'm sure it's helping out a lot of people. I've gone through it. I have it right here. MBA Insider, <laughs> really good book. You know, thanks for doing this. I think this was a big gap uh, that was there. And uh, it's filling this gap and meeting a lot of needs. So once again, I think thank you, thank you on behalf of a lot of students who are going to make a lot out of this. So growing up, wow, like that's way back, <laughs> not that I'm that old. <laughs> but, you know, I grew up in a city called Ahmedabad, which is on the western part of the western state of Gujarat in India. Uh, now, it's a very homogenous state where everybody speaks the same state language. And it's, there's not much of diversity in that city. Uh, but luckily for me, right around high school time, my dad took up a job in uh, Bombay or Mumbai. And I moved to Mumbai then, and it was such a multicultural environment. Like, if you know India, you know that every state has such a different culture that I saw that whole mix of culture. Also, I got exposed to uh, a lot of different career paths. And I saw a lot of, you know, uh, smart folks, uh, successful people who had very different career paths than I had ever heard of. Because, like, my dad was an engineer. I knew there was an engineer, there was a doctor, you know, all the re regular things. But I did not hear about so many careers. And that's when I came across... Uh, these few gentlemen who were in Merchant Marine and I figured, what, what is Merchant Marine? I had no idea about it. So basically, uh, for a high school, like eighth grade student, like I found out that there is a job out there which will take you around the world, get you to work with people around the world and pay you really well for it. And I'm like, oh my God, that was like, literally it was a commitment at first introduction. It was like, I was committed. I was like, I, I want to do this. this. This is my dream. Actually, I wanted to be a captain of a ship that did not turn out to be true. I did not go up to the rank of captain for all the many reasons. But definitely, that was that was what I wanted to be growing up, and I pursued that. I I love I love that story, and I love it for a couple of reasons. Number one, you kind of talked about coming from a homogeneous back you know area to coming to a more diverse one, and as a result of that, then you found a whole slew of opportunities that were also diverse. But then you found a potential career in the Merchant Marines that allowed you to travel the world and see even more diverse cultures and, and opportunities. And so uh, that I think is just a fantastic kind of theme in, in, in your life. And I think it also speaks to just the opportunities you get when you do kind of choose diverse, uh, diverse opportunities. So uh, just to maybe go a little bit further, 
what is it, um, you know, what did you do prior to business school and why did you, you know, choose to come to school and, you know, tell us a little bit more about, you know, being a merchant marine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I'm, I'm happy to, you know, because this part of my life, I don't really, re I rarely talk about these days because it seems like so far in the past, but I did follow my dream and become a, a merchant marine cadet and eventually a merchant marine officer. It really provided me such a good background. I've worked in 35 different countries and I've worked with 40 plus different nationalities of people. It was just a, like you said, the diversity was a stepping stone. Going from Ahmedabad to Mumbai was more diverse. Then I went to the Merchant Marine Academy and I was the only person from my state who was in that academy. And there were like, there's about 30 states in India and there's people from all over. So that was another step up. And then when I went to the ships, it was like complete difference. And there's these Croatian people I would work with, Russian folks, Filipinos, Chinese, Nigerians, Latin Americans, Canadians. Like there's like all kinds of people working on a ship together. And it was just a phenomenal, um, I would say it was just phenomenal experience uh, overall for the growth of who I became as a person in general. Um, even what happened with uh, Merchant Marines was that I, I knew that if I continued down this path, the way I was committed, I could become a captain by say the age of 32 or 33. And then that would be a plateau for me. And to me, that was uh, plateauing too soon, you know, reaching that, that point too soon where you hit the ceiling. And I did not like that fact. Second thing was right around the time I joined Merchant Marines around 2004-ish, and there was a technological revolution happening in terms of satellite communications. So what started happening is a lot of the decision-making power on the ships was being transferred over to the shore. So there would be people in the company sitting on, on, the, on the land who would be making those decisions. But the responsibilities squarely rested on the ships and the staff on the ships. So there was more and more legislation, more and more regulation. So it became less and less fun. Uh, essentially, what happened was uh, it became more that the ship, the people on the ship are only executing more than taking responsibility and making decisions. And that was something that I did not, I was not a big fan of and I wanted to you know, venture out and do more things because I figured out early on that I think what I was good at was taking initiative, solving problems and working with many different groups of people. And I thought business was just the right place for me to be in and business school would be a great opportunity. But there was a hiccup there, Ally. I don't know if you know about this one, but I quit Merchant Marine that in, uh, in 2008 work for the first time and I tried my own business, which failed, uh, as, as you can tell, it was end of 2008. There was a lot of going on around the world. My business failed. I lost half of my savings. Uh, and at that point, before I started the business, I had two options. Go do your own business or go to a business school. I chose to go do your own business. So after I failed at that, went back to ships for a little bit to kind of, you know, make bring back those savings. It was clear that now option A did not work. Now it's time for option B. So that's how I ended up at business school. Wow. I, I didn't realize that you had tried to start or started your own business and uh were challenged by it i'm uh that i'm learning new things about you which is which is fantastic <laughs> uh could you maybe go a little bit further on that you know you know a summary you know what it what did you try to start and maybe what did you what did you kind of learn from that experience it sounds like it was yeah. a very trying one yeah it was it definitely was i felt so i i did feel that i i had that entrepreneurial mindset and i think i can i could take on anything and i if i just put enough force and energy and passion to it, it will work. But sometimes it doesn't. You need a method. You need an approach towards that. And I totally take, I do not blame 2008 and bad times completely on, on my, my failure. Mm -hmm. Part of it was me and my experience level and my understanding of business. That also played a big part. My venture essentially was a health food startup. Basically, we would provide healthy lunches and recipes for dinners uh, to corporates and basically you would be in your office you'd get the meals but even before that my dietitian would consult with you and create a meal plan which is perfect for your body type so we had different types of meal plans so they would fit you into one of the meal plan and we would serve you the right kind of meal my my idea was to really expand it to people who have heart conditions and diabetes because in india especially the food is not very friendly for people who have heart conditions and diabetes especially if you're going to eat out all the time so my idea was I can cook, I, I would hire cooks and employ people who would create this really nice menu where you would serve people who have heart conditions and diabetes and make sure that they get healthier over a period of time. But as you can tell, when, when a recession hits, people are tying up their purse strings. They're not willing to spend more, they're going to spend less. And this was, this was not a necessity. This was something that was an, an added value. 
and so we started taking ahead eventually we started catering to events we started doing all these things but i knew at that point that i i did not get into this business to become a food catering business that was not my vision and so i sold my business or i kind of divested my part and went uh, gave it to my partner and i quit and he ran with it for a little bit but basically it became a food catering company and that was not what my vision was so but i learned a whole lot from that and it humbled me um, it humbled me in terms of that passion isn't everything just forcing yourself to work hard and passionately does not solve things no i think that's a great assessment of what you learned and thank you for sharing that and you know given where we are right now in terms of this year is 2020 and you know there's a lot of challenge and uncertainty going on in the world um, this was you know a little bit over 10 years for you and just you know so everyone knows Ravi is doing great right now, right? He's got a wonderful <laughs> job. Um, he's got a degree from UNC Keenan Flagler. And so I'm sure while it was difficult going through this at that period of time and certainly thereafter, it's certainly worked out okay for you. And so I'm glad you were able to take that experience from you, the lessons you've learned from it, and use them to inform how you've kind of progressed in your career and have moved forward from it. And I think one of the you know monumental things I presume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but one of those monumental steps to take was actually going to you know business school. And so uh, you eventually went and you ended up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina at UNC Keenan Flagler. So tell me a little bit about maybe how you chose UNC and then also what was it like moving from India to, to Chapel Hill? I have a hypothesis that it was slightly different uh, growing up in India and working and living in India versus moving to Chapel Hill. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I was actually lucky on those both on those counts as well because I had worked on ships before and I'd been working in many different countries. So US to me was just another culture that I was really curious to understand more. And I was very impressed by the diversity that I saw in US because I did not see that level of diversity in most places, you know, and except for the metropolises, uh, whether you go to Singapore or Dubai or London, Amsterdam, you see the, those things. But US per se, even in college towns like Chapel Hill, it was just so diverse. And I really, I really liked it. One of the things that struck me, I still remember it, my, my first interaction with somebody in Chapel Hill. I was there for my interview first time. Um, I, I had met Megan Gosk actually at one of the events and she had said that you need to come to Chapel Hill um, to know what Chapel Hill is. So don't just apply to UNC sitting back at your home. You need to visit to really feel it. You need to feel it. And so I decided to feel it. I came for the interview and uh, it was amazing. I stayed in Carborough. I was taking the pu free public transport, which was new to me. I'm like, wow, free buses. That's, I've not heard that. <laughs> so I took that free public transport and there was this old lady. Um, I still remember it very vividly because she said, she asked me about like, I was wearing a suit, you know, like ready for my interview, all of that. And she was asking me like, where I was going? And I'm like, yeah, I'm interviewing here for the business school for an MBA. And she was just so nice. She was like, I really, really hope that, you know, you get this, uh, you get accepted and you choose to come here. This is a wonderful place. And we, we would be better off with more diverse and smart people like you. And I, it still rings in my ear. And so that was a, one of the biggest advocates of Chapel Hill was probably a person I don't know the name. I don't know anything about. Uh, and it, it just was amazing. Uh, choosing UNC was another one where I'll be very honest that I was, when I, I was living in Northwest Indiana, um, at the time, uh, working for a nonprofit when I was applying to business schools all over. Um, and I was open to go anywhere in the country. I, my, my criteria was that I wanted to go to a place which was college town most likely so that I have the full experience. I want everybody to be coming from outside and not having a lot of people who are just native to that place. So that ruled out a lot of schools for me. I wanted that college town experience because even my undergrad was at an academy. I never really had a college experience. So I wanted that, you know. Um, and the second thing was, I wanted a school which, which has great academic, uh, you know, academic, uh, I would say firepower because UNC does come up uh, on the top there as well. And so I applied to multiple schools. I got into a couple of great schools as well. Some ranked higher than UNC uh, as well. Uh, but eventually I think it was, UNC was very generous to give me a scholarship. So that I, I would be lying to say that if I did not mention that, but that scholarship did play a part more than just the money it was the fact that there is this school out here who is willing to give me this much money to come study at that school and and i don't even have any business background i'm a merchant marine officer uh, you know who doesn't know anything about business and and they have this confidence in me it actually elevated my confidence in myself 
And visiting Chapel Hill was very clear that this is the environment I think I can thrive in. And I, I definitely was right on that count. So I 100% feel that that decision to come to UNC and to Chapel Hill was one of the best decisions I've made. That's great. And certainly I'm a little biased because I also did my MBA at UNC Keenan Flagler. And I also very much have a special place in my heart for Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I think that one of the things for me, I've lived in big cities and small college towns and everything kind of in between. And I can absolutely vouch for going to an MBA program that is in a college town. It just has a sense of camaraderie and community that is fantastic. And I think I can also kind of make the assumption you and I are kind of similar in that I think we appreciate that in uh, in the communities that we're in is just having that camaraderie and just that notion of, you know, I think the people who choose to go to schools in those towns, part of the reason why they choose to go there is because they want to be a part of that community. And so I have always been a big proponent of uh, go looking at MBA programs that really do have that small town, small town kind of community type feel. Uh, love the big programs and love the big cities. I live in a big city right now, so I'm a huge proponent of those too. But I really do love that small town feel that I think you probably witnessed and, and felt that first time visiting Chapel Hill. Uh, and so I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely kind of agree with that. Um, yeah. Changing gears for a second. So you come to Chapel Hill, you enroll in the MBA program. You know, as many folks know, that first uh, semester or those first two quarters. Um, those are uh, those can be a challenging uh, challenging experience, right? I'm just curious, you know, what was that transition like for you? You know, what were some of the things that you had to adjust to? Particularly, as you said, you know, this was kind of your first experience, you know, being in kind of that business mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not just business mindset. It was my first experience of being in a college college because I was yeah. in an academy before, so it was very different. And you know, I was actually just blown away by the amount of opportunities within the community that come at you the first week that you are there. Um, there's always that, also there's fear that can you cope up with all the core and all these things. I, I distinctly remember, so UNC has this thing that happens before the program starts called analytical skills workshop, which I believe is three to four weeks. And uh, I was enrolled for the analytical skills workshop. And it was very busy. Everybody thought, said, hey, it's going to be a fun time. You know, you'll be studying some, but you'll also be socializing a lot. So it's going to be a fun time. It's easygoing, all of that. And I felt analytical skills workshop was busy. It was very busy for me. And, and I'm like, how can it get busier? And then the course starts and it actually got three times as busy. And I'm like, I have no idea in my mind that I had no idea that I could do this. I, I had no idea I had the capacity for this, quite honestly. It just, it, it just worked out. But also like there was all these opportunities and, you know, to contribute socially uh, as well within the community. So I had to kind of step, take a step back. And here I think I want to, I really feel that there were people uh, during all these stages, especially some second years who really helped out in terms of understanding what we should, be, I should be doing and what I should not be. Like the first time on my fellows visit at UNC, Siddharth Raina was somebody I paired up with. Uh, he was second year MBA class of 2015. And he kind of really helped level set that we don't jump at everything. We be, be calm, be calculated. And that helped. Secondly, my career mentor uh, was a good, a good mutual friend of ours, Jason Perosho. And he was excellent at setting priorities. I have not seen a person who's better at doing that really even now. I think it was amazing to have him as a career mentor to kind of focus me on what do I want. I came in saying I wanted to go into consulting. I ended up completely changing and saying I want to go into a consumer healthcare brand management kind of role like that focused and I, I credit you know Jason in helping me out a lot and a third person was uh, an international student Hiroki Hara just from Japan he was the president of the International Business Association amazing guy he was just such a close friend and these people helped me uh, prioritize really and that is the biggest challenge I think of not just at UNC but any MBA program I feel how do you prioritize what do you prioritize and what do you go after because you cannot do everything you will you will have that FOMO sometimes, but you just have to choose right and choose wisely. Absolutely. Uh, and a couple of things I love what you said there. Number one was just around the second years who helped guide you along the way. I know all three of those people, they're all fantastic, but <laughs> I think that, you know, part of it is just wherever you go, the willingness to go and build relationships or seek out guidance from the people who have locked in your shoes and who have lived that experience. And so I think that's a, a key thing that you did that I think is really valuable for any MBA student. I think the second thing, as you said, was prioritization. 
And uh, in an NBA insider, um, one of my good friends and fellow UNC Keenan Flagler alum, Nazi Johnson, I think one of the things he said is that business school right. is one big, giant prioritization exercise. Um, it's just <laughs> constant prioritization all the time. And I, when I talk to prospective students or I talk to current students, I would say that that is something I repeat over and over and over again and something that it's not just something you learn in the beginning. It's something that you're constantly revisiting and, and it just, it runs throughout. And certainly I, I think you can make the case that's probably a little bit of what life is about um, right. <laughs> in, in general, but I think even more so, you know, particularly in that, in that business school environment. Um, could you maybe talk about during that adjustment period, you know, what were some of the challenges or what were some of the hard things that you really had to get up to speed on or pivot to or learn? Yeah, I think it was a behavioral change for me. Um, the hardest thing I had to do really was you know, the idea of uh, self-promotion or yeah, marketing yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was extremely difficult for yeah. me, particularly uh, like um, coming from India and also from that particular state where, you know, if you, if you, have something you don't show it basically you have to uh, undermine it you have to kind of keep it under the wraps um, if you have a talent if you have money if you have certain anything you basically try to not show it because it does not come off as well culturally we are sensitive to that and culturally i grew up uh, with my father my uncles everybody always you know downplaying what they who they were what they had how they helped people all of it so they i, I had never caught my father talking about himself and how good he is at what he does ever. And so that was very different for me. Whereas in business school, you have to be artful. It doesn't mean that you really have to like just talk about yourself, uh, but it is that you have to be able to clearly articulate your value proposition. You have to be able to clearly articulate who you are as a person and what you bring to the table because there are that many candidates that it's not a competition, but you have to at least showcase yourself for who you are for a person to be able to work with you or want to work with you. It's not even just for recruitment, but also for study teams and study groups where you choose your own, you choose people to work with. I feel that if I do not articulate myself, well, the smartest kids who I wanted wanted to work with as well would not probably pick me on their team to work with, right? Mm -hmm. So these are the things that I wanted and I had, it was very hard. It definitely was the hardest part of how do I do this in the right way so that I'm not, not like, over positioning myself, overselling myself, or underselling myself. So that balance, I think it comes much much more naturally to Americans because uh, you guys have been applying to schools and undergrads, doing these interviews, doing so many of these things for a long time that it is kind of inculcated. Uh, but for international students, and I can speak to uh, particularly to for Asian students, Indian and Chinese students, it is definitely very difficult. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I love that you brought that up because it's something that I had you talk about in the book and that you highlighted in an MBA insider just about some of the cultural differences in networking that occur, particularly for, as you said, Asian uh, folks from Asian countries. But in addition to that, I think you can also make the case that as I think you did in the book, that it also happens for Americans as well, who come from, you know, industries where it's just not as prevalent. You know, I've had conversations before with folks, you know, one of my good friends who is in, who is in business school right now. And she was telling me, you know, she used to be a teacher. And she was like, we didn't network because I knew all my students. Like I just knew, like I knew them. <laughs> what do you mean network? Like I just, I just knew them. Right. And so even for folks who are coming to United, or business school from uh, American uh, who grew up in the United States, like it still can be kind of foreign, but uh, I think you're right. Like it is for a lot of people is, is a foreign concept. So I would love for you to, I, cause I think you're one of the best when it comes to this, to talk a little bit about yeah. Um, this concept of networking. I know, as you said, it was not something you had a lot of, you know, kind of experience with, but can you kind of um, talk a little bit about, you know, what your experience was like? And then, you know, how did you, how did you make that shift? Like, how did you become more comfortable with it? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Al. Yeah. I feel um, it was, it was a momentous shift for me. My networking experience before had all been very informal. Think about our ship pulling up, into a port in Tahiti. And then there's these guys like coming up with their, you know, uh, Hawaii kind of shirts up there uh, who are like the cargo surveyor and the port inspector. And we just start talking and we became friends. That's the kind of networking. Not that I'm not going to benefit anything out of them really down the line. You know, it just makes for a smoother operation. Um, So very, very informal kind of networking is what I was used to. But when it came to formal networking, uh, you know how MBA students are coached on, 
you should have your elevator speech pitch you should have your resume walk you should have all of this so i tried that little bit and it felt very unnatural to me and it, it I, i'm a very expressive person it shows on my face if it is unnatural like i knew it it was not working for me so i had to really improvise and i had to make it a little bit more informal of course it depended on the company or the people i was talking to to make it a little bit more informal but i did not approach any conversation with any expectation that i would get something out of it my expectation was i would i need i should come off more uh, learning something from the person or understanding something more than what i did before so i kind of flipped it and i started asking more questions rather than presenting myself um, because i feel that I, i kind of understood that it's we also have to try to know them as much as they are trying to know us it's not a one way street and it became i became much more comfortable at having those conversations and that paid off uh, very uh, very well for me like even my internship that i got was through a conversation that i had which was pretty informal i was at the national black mba and i was actually talking to the company that was my top target blacks of smith klein in the consumer healthcare uh, marketing space and i just wanted to be in that company but i just kind of proposed i just had a great discussion and they gave me an interview i had not even applied for it and and from there on it was all history i got that internship and it just so i think to me it was very easy to become a little more informal a little more relaxed a uh, little more natural um, in terms of networking not having any expectation not seeing that okay what is this leading to next like keeping that open uh, that really helped me a lot and i think in general a lot of international students are great at holding conversations really it's just the odd uh, situation or awkward situation of networking that gets some people tongue tied i think once you remove that a uh, barrier mentally that this is not about you selling yourself to somebody uh it becomes much easier yeah absolutely and i love how you explained that but the other thing that i think you did really well is you kind of talked about some of your past experience right in terms of yeah pulling up to a port and striking up a conversation with some folks who were from there right and yep. i think a good place to start i think for people who are a little overwhelmed by it is to look back at your past experience you know i think at you know this point in our lives we've all had to make a friend at some point if not many right and and build a relationship with someone right and so while it is a mindset shift and it does take repetition and and experience to get used to it you probably have more ability in it than i think you probably think you do you just probably called it something different back then right and and That's and so and and i think that you know what you kind of talked about in terms of relying on some of your past experiences to kind of give you a little bit more confidence and then certainly bringing in kind of new uh approaches that you were able to learn on the fly or whether it was from other classmates or from uh just you know have getting the chance to practice it by you know going to a conference like the National Black Conference you know over time it it, it helps you it helps you get up to speed and i i love that example you talked about about the internship opportunity that came up but uh could you go maybe a little bit more of some of the other examples of how networking and really building relationships helped you in your time in business school oh absolutely i think the first one was with your with my fellow classmates i remember i still remember my one of the something i considered an achievement for myself was by uh, i we started in august and by or july actually with asw and by about uh, october uh, or november time frame i pretty much knew the names of every single classmate of mine and there were 300 of wow them. that's amazing so i at least knew their names uh, so that was i i thought that was an achievement to me <laughs> and then what i tried to do was i tried to strike up those conversations with as many people as possible and that that helped in a big way I'll, and it helped my confidence personally because when when you look at people from far away they look different uh, they they feel different but when you start engaging with them you know that they are in the same business school in the same class for a reason you all are pretty this whole group of 300 are all pretty well matched up uh, students everybody is smart in one area or the other you know if you lack something somewhere you probably are better off somewhere else like so every i really feel that all these students who were in in that class were equally smart and that actually was good for me because i did not feel intimidated that i am coming from a merchant marine background i do not have any of these business skills per se this is the first time i'm looking at accounting this is the first time i'm looking at a uh, you know at a balance sheet or or a financial calculation or financial model it just all the all of those fears kind of went away so that was a big 
you know, kind of win for me through networking and through talking to people. So I would go to socials all the time. I, I remember I went to a tailgate for the first time. I had no idea what a tailgate is and I did not understand American football at all. But hey, there was food and beer that helped. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. it, it just was something that I kind of con- continuously put myself in those situations to get to know people at a different level. And that made me feel more and more comfortable. Second piece that I did was I networked a lot outside of students as well. So I networked a lot with faculty members, uh, which not a whole, from my understanding, not a lot of students do that. Uh, and then I networked quite a bit with uh, staff and administration, really. And my network that was very informal. I just got to know those people. Like, you know, it was just excellent to know them because even right now, like I've already mentioned Megan Gosk, like she's a friend. She's somebody I, I still am connected to. And I feel that, you know, I found a friend in that administration. Same way for faculty members. This something came about where uh, Professor J.B. Steenkamp, um, who is a, was an excellent professor of global marketing. He's one of like the top professors in global marketing in the world. I start, I enjoyed his class so much. I just kept following him literally. And I, I, I had lunch with him. I had discussions with him. I would go to his office. And I was like, professor, I just want to work with you on something, like something. If you're, you're writing a book, there must be some small part about India. Can you make me part of it? Like, can I work on it? And he eventually uh, gave in and said, okay, let's write a case together, a case study. So I ended up writing a case study with him, which took me almost a year. I got uh, external credit for it as well. But I uh, I was thinking he would make me a case writer, but he made me a co-author, which was very generous of him. And uh, so I have a co- I co-authored a case on a, on a company from India um, with uh, the professor, which, which, which is being taught right now at the business school, which I'm very, very proud of. But one of the biggest things is when I finished my MBA, I, I did have my offer for my internship, but I had to move to another city in Chicago. So I, I was looking for opportunities and I ended up at a sister concern of that same company that I wrote a case with, who was a much bigger, much uh, uh, stronger technology-based company. And I worked for them for two years. So you don't know where opportunities come from. And while even the job I'm in, I'm in right now, um, I, it was through one of the administration. So somebody who worked at the Dean Suite, uh, Mina Dor, who is my boss, actually, I knew her. So she, that actually gave me an opportunity to present myself. Of course, there was a whole interview in the process, but at least it gave me an opportunity that she knew my work ethic. She knew what I can produce. And that gave me an opportunity as well. So my networking at business school has been extremely, extremely valuable and it continues to pay dividends like uh, no other. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of gems in what you just said. So I want to play that back so everyone can, can, can hear. So I think the first thing that I loved what you talk about was you came from a place of curiosity and interest. And so uh, curiosity and in, in learning more about certain people, but also following your interests, uh, which, you know, maybe at the time wasn't necessarily going to lead to something immediately, but over time uh, did turn into some really great emergent opportunities. And because they were aligned to your interests, they ended up being things that you were really excited about and wanted to pursue, such as you know the case study that ended up coming out with Professor Steenkamp. So I love that you were both following your curiosity, but also aligning it to your interests, whether that is a topic or people, right? Um, the second thing I love that you said, I 100% agree with you. Faculty members and administrators are great people to get to know and build relationships with. One of the things that they have that sometimes other second year students don't have and second year students are still great is that faculty and administrators see numerous classes of MBA students and they can provide guidance and expertise based off of a much longer shelf life and can kind of help you understand kind of the ebbs and flows of a business school. If you actually you know, talk to many of them, they will tell you that things kind of come in cycles and um, certainly they learn new things from time to time, but they have seen a lot of things that sometimes other students don't have the perspective to see because they're only there for two years. And it's funny that you brought up um, Megan Gosk. Um, I was literally on the phone with her yesterday. So uh, <laughs> I count me as a Megan Gosk fan. Megan, if you're listening, you're great. Um, so I second totally, that. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you agree. And, and along with you, I mean, when I was writing MBA Insider, um, Megan was like one of the first, she actually was the, one of the people who gave me the idea to write the book. And, um, uh, and so like through the whole experience, she was very helpful to me. Same uh, with many other administrators at, at Kin Flagler who I met during my time there and who were more than happy to help in whatever way, shape or form. 
Uh, and so I, I just can't say enough about the things you just said. I think they, you, 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 you had nailed it on the mark. And even just as you kind of talked about your own job transition, right, into the role you're in now, you're working for someone who you knew when they were at UNC and you were at UNC. And so while you, people, when you're networking, you may not necessarily know what it's going to lead to. Um, it may not be immediate, but building that relationship does pay dividends over time. You just, it may not just happen right away. And I think that's the important thing about networking is it isn't always going to be the immediate outcome that you see right away. It's more about building the relationship and seeing it grow over time. And, you know, at some point you may help them, they may help you, but um, it it doesn't necessarily happen like right away. So I I loved everything that you just said there. Um, I think it really, it really adds a lot of color to to the importance of networking. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So let's get a little tactical here. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, I think you eventually became a pretty good networker. You are a good networker now, but it took some work. It took some effort. It took some practice. And I'm just curious, do you have any exercises or tactics that students can practice just to help them get more comfortable with going through, you know, the whole networking process? Yeah, I think uh, I have a few that I've, um, so luckily for me, um, this is another thing that you might not know, but before I came to business school, because I was a merchant marine officer transitioning to business school, I was, I knew that I was one of the very, very few. So I started a Facebook page and uh, which helped merchant marine folks kind of transition to business school if they were interested in it. And so I have actually uh, advised um, upwards of, I would say, 60 to 80 people uh, in, in this transition. And I really enjoyed it. So I always, even now, there are a couple of uh, merchant marine folks who are in business schools up in Canada and US who I am in touch with. So I come up with these, based on my experiences, I come up on the advice on how you can possibly you know, network. And one of the things was, of, of course, was trying to put yourself in uh, difficult situations where you, if you are not unfamiliar situations with uh, basically people who you don't necessarily know really well and getting those conversations. I think that is the easy, like that is an easy one that you should do, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable. You know, it feels like this is not really polishing your networking, but it really is. If you only hang out and only if you are always within a certain group or within your comfort zone, you it is harder to grow. I'm not saying you cannot grow. You will grow, but it is harder to grow. And if when you put yourself out of the comfort zone, you can grow a lot. Now, this is a very generic advice, but I think this is the basis or, or fundamental of all of it. Something that I did not know during business school, but I came to know later was uh, when I was looking at you know transitioning out of my previous job, I started networking with people and I, I just was networking through curiosity i would reach out to alums and i would talk about like i just want to understand more about you know you your company of course i do my homework i would know everything about that company that that is public facing i cannot go in asking for things that are already publicly available but i would go in and open-ended and ask about their jobs ask about their lives what do they like about it what do they, they do not like about it but even more so i would talk, then talk about myself and my strengths and my weaknesses and then very very honestly and say I think I do. If I do genuinely like that organization, I would say I do like this organization. Where do you see I could fit into this organization, or where could I be of value to this organization, right? And many a times, and I will tell you one example was with uh, Workday, a uh, software company based out of the Bay Area. I networked. I was interested in working for Workday, and I networked really well with them. And I found some really good mentors out of that. You know, they basically was like. They took me under their wing and they, they were, that, that, there was a particular alumni, um, Bill, who, who had graduated like 15 years ago. And he was helping me understand all the, you know, how Workday works, what are the different groups, who works what, on what areas. And based on my strengths, he started guiding me towards a certain role. Now that, now that he's guiding me towards a certain role, he felt ownership. He felt invested into making me succeed. So now he was connecting me to all these people and also writing glowing testimonials of me, of course, after a lot of interaction, but he was doing that and really helping me uh, get into, get into that, uh, into that role. So because he was invested in that, unfortunately, that role did not open up in the right time, but I was very confident that if that role were to open up, I was the first person they would interview. I was that confident about it. And I was, I'm not sure that I would have gotten the job, but I, I, I think that tactic that, a tactic was very well received where I came in with an open mind and I let them help me 
navigate to a certain conclusion hey you might be good to work on say brand management or something like this you know so this has worked really well because i think people generally want to help and if we restrict them and constrict them in our thinking and our ideas they don't go as wide as they should they could when you allow them to think for you i think they you can get much better results so i think when when students are getting on a call or even alumni are getting on a call with somebody i think keeping an open mind and really seeking out mentorship rather than a, a position or a job is certainly the better way to go Nope. I, I think, I think that again, that's all great insight. And a couple of things I like what you said there. Number one is being able to do the homework. It's table stakes in terms of going into a conversation, feeling prepared, knowing everything you can about the company, the industry they're in, the challenges they face. Um, you can't know everything, but you need to, you need to do your homework to have an informed conversation. And I think the other thing that you said that I think is really good is that it is not necessarily a one-time interaction, but something that uh, develops and it may not develop right away, but it is something that can develop over time. Um, and it, 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 I think part of it is just having the patience and persistence to watch it through. And then I think the last thing you said is that coming from a place of curiosity and also giving them, uh, giving, make it, making it easy for them to help you. And I think you're right. I think that most people are happy to help. It's just that sometimes if you're not, uh, it, you know, a couple of things happen. Number one, um, if you go specifically to the job piece, like sometimes it may turn them off. Right. But number Absolutely. two, um, I think that a lot of times people are busy. Right. And so to the degree that you can give them, um, a way to help that is easy for them to do or navigable them to do, I think it makes it easier for them to say yes and to be willing like to help. And certainly too, obviously if you can, you know, particularly if you're networking with alum, um, you know, obviously the fact that you go both go to the same school, that's a shared commonality. And, and also thinking through any other commonalities that you might have to them to kind of build that relationship and build that trust to get them to the point of, like you said, that individual from Workday who was all of a sudden, you know, thinking of roles that could be great for you or introducing you to other, you know, team members that he knew or she knew. And those things can happen, but it, it does take a little bit of trust building and relationship building before those doors open. And I wish there was an, uh, I could say that there was a clear methodology for how to do that. It, it, it is there. I don't, I haven't found one yet. If anyone has one, let me know. Um, I think it, part of it is just because everyone is kind of different, but I do think that over time you certainly learn some things that work and some things, you know, that, that don't. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I think you do get it, you know, eventually, but, um, but no, I, I've had some similar experiences as well. I think for me, I remember that going during my time at UNC, I was really interested in interning at this one company and I went and did a LinkedIn search and I found one single person at that company who went to both UNC and my undergrad Boston college, <laughs> found one person, reached out to him on LinkedIn and just mentioned that like, I, you're the only one that I found who went to both these schools and sure enough, he loved his experience at both the schools and uh, so did I. And so as a result of that, he literally did the same thing that your colleague at Workday did, where he literally opened up every door that he possibly could for me. But again, it was a little bit of luck, but like just the sheer fact that we had that shared commonality of literally being some of the only people who had been both alums of both the schools right. really was a thing that led him to kind of be like, you know what, like I want to help you out. Um, and now when I get people like, who are that for me, like I always help them out because I know and I've been there. So, um, so yeah. And I guess as a transition now, um, the, the funny thing is, is that now as an alum and now as working for a great employer, you're kind of on the other side of these networking conversations. So uh, in many cases, many students are kind of coming to you. And I'm, so I'm just curious, what, um, what are some things that you look for when you're, on the other side of these conversations, these networking conversations, when you engage with students, um, or maybe said like um, a better way, um, you know, what's going to make you act like that gentleman or that woman from Workday and really open those doors for someone? Um, like what? Yeah, like in those conversations, like what do you look for? Or like what? What do you? What are the things you see? Like want to do or want to see or, or 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 what are the things that help you kind of want to help someone else? Yeah, that is a great question, Al. Um, <clears throat> I think the first thing I'd seek really is genuinity, genuineness, you know, like somebody just comes across as comfortable in their skin, is genuine, um, is not 
trying to really upsell themselves or anything like that. I, I this is my personal preference, and again, everybody is different, right? So I I really feel that is one one thing that I look for. Second thing is openness in general, because I practice that. I like people who practice that, right? Like it's like you like the people who are thinking in the way you are thinking. So I I'm a little bit biased when somebody comes in open and saying. Hey, I like your company, but I, what do you think? I, I have this background. I have all of this. Then I all, all of a sudden spring into action. Like, oh yeah, you should maybe this. Oh, oh no, maybe this area. So that's that's just the way I kind of operate. But I think I, I'm happy to kind of give a leeway in terms of even communication skills. You know, not everybody has the perfect communication skills, but that is not necessarily an indicator of how good a per, how good a contributor mm-hmm. that person can sure. be. You know, yep. everybody's coming from different places, uh, and and it's just to see beyond that barrier. I think. That is first thing, the genuineness as well as openness. These are two things. But then consistency. Like if they are going to be consistent and if they follow up, that is important to me. Having a great conversation with somebody right then and being as helpful as possible, I'm kind of making myself vulnerable, right? I'm opening myself up and I'm vulnerable. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm trying to do whatever I can. But if the person does not follow up, then I might as well be like, uh, you know, this is clearly not as important for you. So I should not be putting in my time and energy into it. So that is one of the big indicators for me that is a person following up and following up also the right amount and in the right way that I think tone is everything, whether it is email or whether it is communications, as long as the tone is that of curiosity, that of learning and that of, you know, uh, just exploring, I am all for it. I really enjoy those conversations. There have been many such instances where I have gone up to my talent acquisition team personally and said, hey, this person you should be looking at. I think this is a great person to, you know, uh, have at our company. I would do that. I would go to a hiring manager. I've done that for uh, at least two people in the recent past, in the last six months, when I went to the hiring manager and said, hey, by the way, we know we know each other. This, that. I have a friend or I have somebody at UNC Kinnan Flagler or at another business school who is, you know, who could be a great candidate uh, for this job. I just wanted to plug in. And if you can have just a casual conversation with this person, uh, then he or she would appreciate that, you know. Mm-hmm. So that this is something that I would do, but I have to feel that connection. I think it's a very, yeah. uh, it's, I, I, I'm more of a data analytics kind of guy. I like data, but when it comes to this, it is a very fuzzy thing. It's like, how do you feel about it? You know, uh, if you feel, and these are the components like genuineness and openness and then follow up. These are the things that make you make a recruiter um, or an alum feel good that, you know, this person is actually interested and I'm not wasting my time doing this because especially as alums or recruiters, like you recruiting is not your full time job. You're just helping out your company and you're helping out, uh, you know, in a way that you can. And uh, for them to understand that, that there is a full time job and role that you have, plus you have your family and you have 20 different directions you're being pulled into. So they have to be mindful of, of the fact that if somebody is giving me the time, they should show that respect as well. Yeah, I, I think what you nailed it on the head and I particularly the last thing that you said, because I, I know other classmates of mine and other alum and myself included, you know, we absolutely do want to help. But um, certainly you're right. Like, you know, recruiting is not our full time job. Um, we're more than happy to help when we can. And I agree with you. If I feel that people are genuine and they're thoughtful and they follow up and they're committed to it, I'm much more likely to to be able to. To, to try to vouch for them to the degree that I can. And I also think that's important to remember too, if you're networking or talking to someone for the first time, um, you know, when you go in as an employee, you know, many times when you're asked to, you know, write a referral, you usually have to put a description of what you know of the candidate or your experience right. with them. And so if you're only talking to someone for the first time, their ability to confidently speak to your abilities is probably going to be pretty low just because it's the first time you've met them. And so if you're someone who wants a referral or wants to get that referral, just keep that in mind where they may not necessarily not number one, want to do that. But number two, they may be in a much better position to do that for you once you've built a relationship with them and they can better right. speak to, to your abilities. You know, I, I it's just, um, it, it, it's just a reality of sometimes it just takes time to build a relationship. So I think it's important to, um, to keep that in mind. So I'm glad, I'm glad you brought, brought that up. Um, so, my last, I guess, question for you, just because I think you've shared so many great insights about networking, but I would love to get a little bit more tactical. Lastly, you know, what advice do you have for people who are not comfortable with networking or for if you know if you are one of those MBA students for who this is new for? Like, you know, what what should you be doing to get up to speed and maybe overcoming some of those uh, so over, overcoming some of those challenges? I think the first thing they can do is go and attend all the social events. 
that are happening at the school, especially right at the beginning of your MBA, uh, there are a lot of social events that are happening. And whether you like to drink beer or wine or not, whether you like to eat, do barbecue or not, whether you like to hang out with a lot of people or not, this is the reality. This is the phase where you sh- you need to expose yourself to that. So I would highly encourage them to, in the beginning at least, to go because then there are situations and there are groups of people talking and how do you insert yourself into that communication or that conversation in a non-intrusive way teaches you a lot. And you'll do it, do it in the wrong way multiple times, but you'll know you were not, you didn't do it ideally or you didn't do it right. And then eventually you'll learn from that. I think there is one easy way to kind of put yourself out there. And I think the biggest thing is the decision to make that I'm going to put myself out there. Executing is easy. Just saying that I want to do it is the more difficult part. Just committing to it is the more difficult part. And once you do it, you you will get better. Second thing is to do go on a little bit of a self-discovery. I feel everybody has their style. Not everybody is the same. I feel some people do very well in groups. Some people do very well when they talk one-on-one. Um, some people do very well in a more informal setting. Some people are great with working with scripts and, uh, uh, you know, just giving out a scripted answer. Every, everybody has their own style. You need to discover the key elements of your style through all these interactions. And then once you have discovered that, you stick with it. For example, the elevator pitch, that's uh, that was so um, alien to me. That was something I was so uncomfortable with. So I decided I'm going to flip it completely. I'm not going to follow that speech. I'm going to make up my own, which is completely different, which is absolutely, you know, I'm flipping it on its head. It's more about asking them questions rather than even talking about myself. Because if they want, they'll ask me about me. Right now, I'm asking them about them. So I kind of flipped it because I thought that was more comfortable for me. I think you need to figure out your own formula for yourself. That is the first thing for people who are not comfortable doing this. And quite honestly it is it is if you are an introvert it might not be as much fun for you and i get it not everybody is extrovert not everybody enjoys it seems like work to some people whereas to some people this might be like oh this gives me energy you know so you need to approach it in in the right way if sometimes introverts are better off having conversations on the phone rather than in person uh, they are, then do that if you think that your your uh, you are an extrovert or you you feel that you are better off in person, then you might not want a phone call, but maybe a FaceTime call, you know, ask for that because you might be better off with a FaceTime call. So you really have to tweak it to your uh, your strengths. Play to your strengths, not to your weakness. The school will tell you, the schools will tell you how to network and they will give you scripts. I think you, you only take what you want from that, but you need to really, really uh, customize it for yourself and customize the approach. Ravi, thank you so much. This is great advice. I appreciate you so much for joining today and for sharing your story as well as your practical tips for networking. Uh, Ravi Maniar, thank you so much for for joining me on the MBA Insider Podcast. Thank you for the opportunity, Al. I really am glad that you had me here. Hi, everyone. Al D here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to head over to iTunes and write a review. It will take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how I can improve it. You can find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschool.com to learn more.